White Stripes on Island 106.9, W-I-I-S-Q-S, Walking with a Ghost. It's a great morning song, isn't it? Uh, good morning, Gwen Filosa in with you this morning for It's Too Early and broadcasting right off Duval Street in beautiful Key West, Florida. I'm super excited to have my guest this morning. She's the author of six novels. Her latest is Blush, and we're going to talk a lot about a lot of things. Jamie Brenner, good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you. Hey, now, is it too early for you? No, I'm an or I'm a morning person, so this is good. If it was like eleven o'clock at night, we'd be having a problem. <laughs> Me too. I go to bed at <laughs> nine. Right. Remember when we stayed out all night? Now maybe you didn't, but now it's like nine thirty. Oh, oh yeah, bedtime. Yeah. Uh, well, congratulations on all the books. You're a best-selling author, and the latest is Blush. Now, how would you describe the book and tell us all about it? Blush is the story, it's a family story, and it centers around three women, a grandmother, a mother, a daughter, and they come together over the course of the summer um, at the family winery, which is, you know, a beautiful setting and usually a place of escape and vacation. This summer is different because when the grown daughter arrives, she's in her 50s, she finds that her parents are on the verge of losing the vineyard, losing the winery, losing everything, um, which is obviously a family crisis. And then her college-age daughter shows up, and it turns out everyone has also a little personal crisis of their own. So over the course of the summer, they end up coming together over reading books from the 1980s that the grandmother has in her library from a now-defunct book club. And these are the novels by Jackie Collins, Judith Kranz, uh, Lace, Chances, Scruples, mm -hmm. blockbuster novels at the time, uh, but a little bit salacious and scandalous and not normally the thing you would think of reading with your mother and grandmother. But that's exactly what happens to these women over the course of a few months together. Wow. Now, you know, you grew up reading Jackie Collins and Judith Krantz, and uh, I remember those. I remember they were so, like like you said, scandalous, and everyone's like, oh, these are these are crazy dirty. And now, today, they seem a little tame. Well, I have to tell you, I reread them mm -hmm. before I wrote this book, just to see, you know, because, yes, time and perspective can definitely do weird things to things you remember from childhood. But I've got to tell you, these sex scenes, you know, forget Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, these are some pretty, I mean, Jackie Collins, Shirley Conrad, they went there. And especially in a time when women were not putting this out there. And mm -hmm. and these writers got a lot of pushback for it. Um, there's a documentary out now called Lady Boss about Jackie Collins. Oh, wow. And you see footage on these shows of her going on talk shows like Merv Griffin, you know, those, those daytime shows. And she really gets it from the hosts, from the audience, from her fellow panelists about being, you know, perverted, you know, how can you write these things? How can you think of these things? Um, and what it really looks like when you see that today is just people being outraged that women mm. dare to write about sex because men like Harold Robbins were doing the same thing, but they were not excoriated for it. So mm. it's really interesting to read the books now and see what, um, how negatively they were framed at the time. So that's, I recommend that documentary for anyone who's interested in a little historical snapshot of the 80s. 
That, that I'm definitely going to see it. I've always been a, I respect Jackie Collins. I think she did great work and she you know, became a phenomenon. And, and like you said, at a time when, you know, women weren't maybe able to be as uh, vocal about sexuality as men. And I'm glad to hear they hold up. Even Judith Krantz holds up. I'm just kidding. I mean, look, there's things like there are things that never would have gotten past editorial today in terms of just being insensitive or certain language that's used. But in the context of the day, it was not meant as um, mean spirited. It was a different time. And I think people need to remember that whenever you read something that was written in a very different era. I mean, the 80s sounds like it's still relatively modern, but it was still only 30 years out from the 1950s, you know, Mm. which was like the nineties to today, which is mind boggling. Um, So some things don't hold up, but the spirit of it about self-empowerment, about going out into the world and trying to do something about taking risks, about not asking permission. These were very strong messages and things we maybe take for granted today that I as a, a young person reading them, this was the first time I was getting this messaging. Mm-hmm. So very valuable to me, and I think to a lot of women of my generation. Now, your novel, The Forever Summer, was huge, and uh, Summer Longing was well there You're getting rave reviews. A couple of uh, in Blush and Summer Longing, reviewers are saying that they call them a delightful escape, um, the epitome of escapist reading pleasure. Uh, are, are they, do you, would you describe yourself as a romance writer or simply just, you know, big, big narratives, big, big, you know, stories? I mean, I would say more just like kind of, book club thing. I mean, romance is, is such a specific category that mm. I don't think my books quite fit into that um, th- that structure, um, especially because they're more about women like finding themselves through ways that aren't necessarily um, love and romance, although there are always relationships within the books. But escape to me, you know, is what a book should be. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always, most readers can say yes in times of stress or even just to wind down from the day that is the go-to to to like kind of get your mind off of whatever it is in in real life and i i think books should handle serious topics and can but i do like to deliver ultimately a happy ending um you know in life we're always pursuing the happy ending but we never know what we're going to get but at least in fiction, we can we can offer that, you know, life the way we want it to be. And um, wanted to ask about writers who inspired you. I know I know one of them, uh, Judy Bloom, who, you know, lives in Key West and runs a bookstore. Um, you were at, know. You, you, you saw her at her 80th birthday party in Manhattan. Yes, yes. And what it was, I remember, I will never forget this night because it was a Super Bowl Sunday. And my hometown was in the Super Bowl, Philadelphia Eagles. And I was going to watch it. And then a friend called and said, I have an extra ticket to Judy Bloom's 80th birthday. And I said, this is my Super Bowl. I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a full auditorium and women from all generations, the love in that room for this woman who sat in the audience, you know, very discreetly, very um, unassumingly. Um, why did she have this effect on so many people? Because she was honest Mm. and because she talked about things that many parents couldn't talk about with their children, 
many friends couldn't talk about amongst themselves. Um, and that to me is the power of books and why people continue to gather in book clubs. And Tyler, the author, wrote, um, I write and I read books to live many different lives in many different places. And I think we read books to have many different parents, many different best friends. Uh, so Judy Bloom was a pioneer because she spoke about things that were sort of in the shadows. And now today, you know, everything's kind of out in the open. Anything goes, you know, it's a very different world. But books, I think, still serve the purpose of letting us work through problems or letting us ask questions that maybe we're afraid to um, in the normal course of our lives. And I mean, her work is just the characters and the, the stories are just so powerful. What would, what would all of us, what would we do without Judy Bloom? Oh, I, I was doing a book club last night and we were talking about how we couldn't talk to our parents about things like sex. And I remember the only way I learned anything was I'd read a Judy Bloom book and she'd bring something up and I'd go to my mom and say, what is this? And then the poor woman was forced to explain it to me in greater detail. But yeah, she she was like everyone's mother in a way mm -hmm. because she was telling us like it is. And I do think that even today when when things are much more open or you can Google anything or watch anything on TikTok, um, there's an intimacy in books mm. and there's an intimacy in talking about books where you can talk about something without without actually talking about yourself and i think that's you know part of what i write about in book in uh, blush is is the power of women gathering together or men whomever people getting together over a book and talking and you can start out talking about the book but inevitably the conversation gets to something else um, and I think we need that more than ever. And that's why even during like the, the lockdown and times when people couldn't physically gather, they didn't stop. We did this via Zoom. We mm -hmm. did it via FaceTime, whatever, because we need to talk and we need to connect over something to make sense of our lives and the world. And and growing up, you were a voracious reader. Uh, was was that kind of what set you in motion? Like, I need I need to write. I want to be like this. Or did that come later? Oh, absolutely. So it was these books by Jackie Collins and Judith Krantz. I don't even remember how I chose the first one, but I took it out of the library. I knew I shouldn't be reading it. Mm -hmm. So I also checked out a few other more appropriate books, like uh, Nancy Drew. And smart. then I got home. Yes, very smart, strategic. <laughs> and then I got home and I swapped out the dust jackets. So when Genius. my parents, <laughs> literally guilty pleasure, because I was <laughs> hiding it. So my parents would see me reading a book and it looked like something else. But be these books opened up the world to me. Now, in the 80s, I was still getting the messaging, just grow up, get married, be pretty you know, that's sort of your path. And I was not getting any counter messaging at school. When I told my fourth grade teacher that I wanted to be a writer, which I already felt, she looked at me and said, well, maybe you can be a teacher. Hmm. And being a teacher is a great profession, but that wasn't what I said. 
And the message was, don't shoot too high. You know, don't think Mm -hmm. too big. Mm -hmm. Know your place. Well, the women in these novels never knew their place. You know, their lives were big and messy. And they moved to places like New York City, which I never even went to until I was 22 years old. But before there was sex in the city in Carrie Bradshaw, there was Maxie Amberville in I'll Take Manhattan. Mm. So, yes, these books set in motion my idea of what the world can be. And I wanted to write and I wanted to be able to tell stories that might make another girl sitting somewhere think about her possibilities in a different way. And um, you you started out in publishing in New York. You were at HarperCollins, BarnesandNoble.com, Vogue.com. What what is that kind of background? How does it help you when when you're in the business? I mean, I'm, I think it's obvious, but go ahead and tell me. <laughs> well, I mean, it helped. But Glenn, to be honest, the reason I started with those jobs is because I didn't believe I could really be a writer myself because I got all this messaging to be safe and be responsible and being a writer seemed indulgent and frivolous. So I said, well, I'll do the next best thing and I'll work in books. And working in books showed me something that maybe isn't what you'd expect to hear, but it showed me that writers make mistakes and they're not perfect and they're not magically gifted people. They're just doing something and they have the help of editors and publicists. And it took a long time, but I saw if they can do this, there's no reason why I can't try. So it wasn't that working in publishing taught me how to write. Mm-hmm. It taught me how to take the chance oh. to be a writer. I like it. I like it. And, and now you divide your time. You're from Philly. Obviously, you lived in New York for a long time. In Provincetown, tell me about it. You know, I've never been. Okay, that must be corrected (laughs) as soon as possible. And actually, this is the perfect time of year for anyone Mm. interested in Provincetown because the summer craziness is past and the weather is gorgeous. I came to Provincetown when I was researching my novel, The Forever Summer. Mm. I knew I needed a special place, but I didn't know what that place might be. And then I saw a CBS Sunday morning show episode about Provincetown and they interviewed the Pulitzer Prize winning writer Michael Cunningham, who's a longtime resident. And he said, Provincetown is a place that uh, rewards or embraces eccentricity. Mm. And I thought, OK, that that's a place worth checking out. So my husband and I went and immediately when I stepped out of the car, I knew like this is a really special place. It it has that sort of Oz-like feeling, like everything else is in gray and it's mm. in technicolor. Um, and I really fell in love with it. Probably the way, you know, people might feel when they come to, you know, certain places in Florida and they yeah, want to make West. their life there. Yeah, Key exactly. Probably a lot like Providence. Oh, you know, they share. We have eccentricity. If I said that right. We have eccentric people. <laughs> Yes, eccentric people, you know, um, art and Mm -hmm. freedom and sort of, you know, and and, but but a goodness and a a warmth and a welcoming that I think is like way too scarce in the world today. And Provincetown is just a pocket of the world where I think anyone can feel safe and feel good. And I, I used it as a setting for my book, The Forever Summer. And I 
only intended to write one book set there, but I wrote another book set there called Summer Longing. And my book for next year called Guilt is also a return to Provincetown. Uh, it's, it's special. And I, I really recommend it for anyone who wants a little, a little escape amongst some really good people. Well, now, now you've inspired me and got to go home and look at flights. So <laughs> um, thank you so much, Jamie Brenner, for coming on the show. Congratulations on Blush and all of your novels. Uh, that, that That's amazing. You work a lot. Do you know that? I do. We all do, right? When, I mean, <laughs> we have to. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We got it. You got to keep it going. But and it's my pleasure. Thank you for coming on and have a great and productive day. And we'll talk soon, I hope. You too. Take Thanks care. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. And thank you all for tuning in to this morning. I'm here weekdays at 8.15. It's Too Early is also a podcast. So if you want to check out prior shows, maybe you came in a little late. Hey, I'm not taking it personally. It's okay. Where uh, The podcast is up on Podbean, Spotify, Audible, and Stitcher. We're, we're making headway with all these apps. Uh, so check out It's Too Early. We have artists, writers, scientists, uh, comedians, um, some real movers and shakers and people. Um, you're not going to believe uh, who my the booker, Kevin Assam, reminded me yesterday. Meg Cabot is coming up in a few weeks. Um, and Susan Orlean, Sus- the orchid thief writer. I, I, it's a, he's a great booker and uh, we're so excited to have um, these guests on. And uh, going to come back with a look at headlines and your weather forecast. Right now, this is uh, the antlers. Every night, my teeth are falling out. Island 106.9, stick around. One bad night, I'll hold the glass until the glass will down. And one bad night, I'll spill and spill and spill.